Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said this morning that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said this morning that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. Even though I am recording this on Monday, with any luck, Pastor Edwin's son, Eli, will be born by the time you hear this. And if he isn't, pray for us all. And one day, I'm sure, Pastor Edwin will tell the story of how his son was born. And so today, I'll tell the story of when my son was born. Ten or so days after her due date, my generously pregnant and transcendently gorgeous wife woke me up from my not-so-restful sleep. And it was within the hour that we were at the hospital, and that morning, the king of all wild things, Max Nathaniel Phillips, was born. And then came all of the most interesting questions, the same questions that everyone will ask Pastor Edwin and his wife, Meredith. How much did he weigh? Eight pounds, three ounces. How long was he? 22 inches. How's Ari? Super duper. But do you know the first question, at least for me, it probably won't be for him, the first question that most of the people closest to me asked, what my mother wanted to know when my son was born. What color is his hair? Is it dark? My hunch is that these people were asking these questions because they've seen my girls and how they are a carbon copy of my wife and they were wondering if I had any significant genetic contribution to this baby. Is it dark? And the jury was pretty much out because he was blonde too. But I will tell you this. Max was a baby that knew how to get upset. He could go from zero to 60 with a scream pretty well. Which everyone, especially my mother, was quick to remind me that he gets from me. So I guess I did contribute. And it's not to say that I'm always justifiably upset. Sometimes I'm justifiably upset. Sometimes you're justifiably upset, I'm sure. But sometimes I'm being completely unreasonable. I wonder if I'm the only one that gets unreasonably upset. Most of the time, though, most of the time, in fact, one conflict facilitator says 90% of the time someone's upset, a conflict is happening. It's caused by misunderstanding. He goes on, another way to say this is upset is caused by mismatched expectations. 
Have you ever heard of the phrase, expectations are planned resentments? They really can be. It's one thing for a baby to have mismatched expectations and to be upset with what they hope for and they're not getting. But where is the upset in our lives? Or maybe I should ask, who are we misunderstanding on a regular basis? Our spouse? Our children? Our colleagues? Our neighbor who won't pull his trash can in? Who do you misunderstand in your life? Do you have mismatched expectations about them? As we finish up our coming back sermon series about church, do we still have misunderstandings or mismatched expectations about what it means to be the church. See, I think we live in a time when the church is misunderstood in almost every circle. It is actually something that happened and has been happening since the time of Paul. It is one of our very worst traditions to misunderstand what it means to be the church. And so Paul confronts it. And when he writes to these folks in Rome, he writes to people who call themselves the church, but they are functioning under a severe misunderstanding around what that means. And so he writes to address that. And I think it is interesting to note that when Paul writes to these people to build understanding, he's writing to people he has never actually met which is not Paul's usual way of doing business. Paul usually pastors with and writes to people he is in relationship with. But there's something very unique going on in Rome, and so he wants to speak to it. New Testament scholar David Bartlett claims that there's a unique division going on in Rome between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. So Jewish Christians, many of them have come to Rome after maybe being expelled with some other Jews and Gentile Christians who were maybe in Rome and have converted to Christianity. And these two groups are arguing and they're trying to live together as a congregation, but they're upset and arguing about their histories and customs. And the custom at the heart of this misunderstanding at the heart of this upset is sacrifice. Why is sacrifice at the heart of this upset? Think about it. You've got formerly Jewish rabbis even on one side holding on to the old way of doing sacrifice where animals are butchered to honor God. And on the other side, you have Gentile Christians who are aligning themselves with a Greco-Roman worldview which makes sacrifice 
little more than a thought project. Animals, abstract. And Paul resists both of these options. He says that these two groups are suffering from a case of misunderstanding, of mismatched expectations, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and that sacrifice is neither animal nor abstract. It's us. It's not slaughter. It's service. We are the sacrifice. And when Paul gets into this, trying to establish a common understanding, a way forward, he calls it in the Greek, logica latreia. And in the NRSV, this phrase, this Greek phrase, is translated spiritual worship, which is, in my mind, less than helpful because if you take those two words and go word for word, logica latreia means the logical thing to do. In other words, if the gospel is what we say it is, the ultimate governing force in our lives, as Christians, that will, that's what we believe it to be, let us not misunderstand. Offering our living body as a living sacrifice to a living God is the only logical thing to do. Make sense? It's the only logical thing to do, to be a living sacrifice. So if the church in Rome or anywhere else is offering any other kind of sacrifice, anything less than their imperfect living bodies, anything less than their skin in the game of service, then they've misunderstood what it means to be the church. Today, we misunderstand what it means to be the church in a variety of different ways. Sometimes that means that a church believes its sole identity is to beat the drum on some conservative or liberal idea. Or it sees itself to be a vendor of religious goods and services. Or it has become what they believe to be a purveyor of some kind of eschatological ticket so that others don't get left behind in the rapture. But if there is no living sacrifice from that church community, they are misunderstanding what it means to be the church. They have mismatched expectations. We have mismatched expectations between us and Paul. Because in the church that Paul envisions, none of that is expected. The only expectation is for the people of God to go about living as a sacrifice to God. On the day that Max was born, I picked up my daughters 
And we went to the hospital because they were just dying to meet this baby brother. And you can imagine their excitement. And we got to the hospital and we allowed them to hold Max. And <laughs> Max slept through almost the entire visit. And they kissed him on his face. And Lily, who was five years old at the time, climbed into the hospital bed with her mother and cuddled her for a little bit. And we stayed for about an hour. And it was time to leave. You can, ma you can imagine their reaction when I said it was time to leave. The next day was the first day of school, so we had to go. And Lily started crying. So I had to pick her up and carry her out of the hospital. And she cried. And she tucked her little face into my neck. And just as we got to the exit doors, she lifted her face and offered one last plea. And she said, I don't want to leave them behind. And I said, neither do I. But she just misunderstood what was going on, what we were doing. And I said, "Hun, we're not leaving them behind. We're just going out ahead. And that may seem like semantics, but it mattered to Lily and it mattered to me. We were still connected. And tomorrow, things will be right. And we will be together as a family again. Tomorrow, things will be right, and we will be together as a family again. And that's the way it is with the church. We don't leave brothers and sisters behind. We go out ahead. We always stay connected to one another. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, we are connected in a single garment of destiny connected to every person on this planet. And one day, maybe tomorrow, things will be right again and we will be family together. But for now, we go out ahead. That is the present day church. That's what it means to be church. As we think about coming back, we come back only to go out ahead as living bodies. Paul said it so beautifully in Romans. We go out ahead to make love genuine and hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good and to carry that banner of mutuality and honor, to go out ahead and live lives in the service of principles like hope and patience and peace and perseverance. We go out ahead to extend blessing and hospitality to friends, but not just friends to strangers, but not just to strangers, to the lowly, but not just to the lowly. Believe it or not, we're called to extend blessing and hospitality to those that persecute us, those that are downright awful to us, which is no way to win a fight, but it's the way you live in service to the gospel as a living sacrifice. We go out not to leave anybody behind. We go out to set a pace that evil might be pursued and chased down and overcome with good. Because that is what God has done for us. 
See, he had a son too, didn't he? He wasn't delivered in a hospital, but a manger. And that son lived in this world and showed us what it looked like to be the kind of person that Paul is encouraging us to be. He went out ahead to be a living sacrifice with a sacrificial love that was so perfectly genuine that he was put on a cross to go out ahead of us in death. (laughs) And it is almost as if you can picture God carrying him out of death. (laughs) Did he cry and tuck his face into his father's neck? Did he lift his face and offer one last plea? I don't want to leave them behind. Even after all of the misunderstanding he faced in his life, that's what Jesus would have said. I don't want to leave them behind. But he would have been misunderstanding too. Neither do I, he might have heard. We are not leaving them behind. We are just going out ahead. He has gone out ahead of us with his life, his death, and his resurrection that we might go out ahead too to be a living sacrifice, letting love be genuine, hating what is evil, and holding fast to what is good. That one day, things will be right again and we will be together as a family. Amen.